Jeremiah chapter 1, verses uh, 4 4 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and he said to me, now, that I, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. When we were little children, people were always asking us the question, what do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? You and I scrunched our eyes together and we thought about it for just a second and, and we replied, I want to be a fireman an astronaut, a ballerina, or a president. Why not? Because anybody in America can grow up to be president. And from the very first moment, the the suggestion was that this is a decision which is self-determined. Something similar happened in high school. Your teachers or your career advisor They gave you a sheet with occupations listed on the sheet and with salary ranges for those respective occupations. And you were to look that over in order that you could come up and make an informed decision about your career choice. It's my choice. But I'm really going to push back on that question and, and ask ourselves, do we get to choose our occupations? Do we really get to choose? Isn't it? Our family background, our education, our life experiences, don't all of those equip us for certain forms of work and downright exclude us from other forms of work? Now, if we got to choose our occupations, I'd be on a Major League Baseball roster right now. (laughs) I would be wearing a helmet and not a microphone. I'd be standing in the middle of an NFL stadium But when I was 16 years old, and at the time that I should have been honing my quarterbacking skills, I was about 30 pounds too light (laughs) and had not a bit of muscle on my body. Uh, It just so happened at that point in my life, I was anemic. I didn't have enough iron flooding through my my veins. Now, I believe that this American idea of we get to choose our occupations I mean, yeah, we have some choice, but really, when you, when you put it in the terms that it's been put to us, we've set the bus. We've set the bus going in the wrong direction. Instead of seeing our career paths as self-determined, better to see our career paths as vocations. From the Latin word vocatio, which in Latin means callings, or the, the Greek word that we have is the word kaleo, which sounds kind of like callings. Our jobs, our careers are for Christians. We understand them to be callings from our Heavenly Father for how we can serve others and serve His world. 
So I took our scripture reading from Jeremiah chapter 1 today, and it's the, it's the call of the prophet, the reluctant prophet. You know, Jeremiah was the prophet who was drug, drug, you know, kicking and screaming into his respective profession. There are not many callings given to ordinary people in the Bible. Moses gets a calling, Aaron gets a calling to lead God's people out of Egypt. Noah gets a calling to build an ark. Some of the prophets, Samuel, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, get callings. And in almost every instance of their callings, they were called into a sacred form of work. So they were called to be a prophet to the nations. They were called to be a priest. For about a thousand years in church history, the church takes this as its paradigm And basically, all the way through the Middle Ages, the word vocations was exclusively related to, restricted to, your calling into the priesthood, or your being called into the monastic orders, oftentimes kicking and screaming. So for about a thousand years of church history, we we thought of things in these terms. It's not until Martin Luther and the Reformation come around, we'll talk about this later in October, when Luther says, no, 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 actually... All of us have vocations. All of us have been given callings by God. The real, the challenging part is how do you discern that? It's very challenging because it's not like there is a passage in the Bible you can go to that really instructs us on how to discern what kind of work God is calling me to. It it requires, I mean, in some sense, this is a really hard sermon series I'm discovering because you don't have easily preached texts of the, of the scriptures. You've got to like mine biblical wisdom from lots of different places. So that's what I'm trying to do today. I think there are three factors that when these three coalesce, you can have a high degree of confidence that God is calling you into a specific type of, of vocation, of work. And these are the three. Look out, look out, look in, and look behind. Look out, look in, look behind. Number one, the single strongest indicator of God's calling in your life, I think, is your ability to answer this question. The question is, when you look out on the world, what is it that you see? Where does your eye gravitate towards? What do you see that needs to be fixed? When you look out on the world, who do you see needs to be served? What do you see needs to be changed? The single strongest indicator of God's calling in your life is your awareness of what needs to be done in order to make this world as God intends it to be. If you heard heard last week's sermon about the purpose of work, kind of building on top of that, your awareness of how this world that you are in doesn't fit Genesis 1 and 2, that I think is the, the single strongest indicator of, of where your calling lies. What things catch your attention? Do you see things that need to be built? Do you see things that need to be started? Things that need to be designed? Things that need to be researched? Organizing things? Optimizing things? Selling things? Trading things? Writing things? Singing things? Basically, what, what catches, what things catch your eye when you look outside these four walls? 
Another way of putting it is like this. You could say, what are the human needs or what are the creation needs, the world needs that, re- that vibrate inside of your soul? Where do you find resonance when you look out on the world? Is it in resolving disputes, instructing others, solving problems, fostering dialogue, healing wounds, adding humor, persuading people, making deals, running numbers. And I mean, obviously the list could go, could go on and on, but you're really trying to figure out what is there an affinity inside of me with, uh, with, with stuff out there. The reason I think this is very important to stress is because if you were to go into Barnes & Noble this afternoon and pick up a book on career choice, inevitably that book is going to tell you the very first thing you should do in order to figure out what job to field go into is you take a generic aptitude test. All right, a multiple choice question kind of test that tells you, all right, here's what my skills are, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm, I'm passionate at. But that's, I believe, the, the wrong place to start. It was a British author, Dorothy Sayers, she said during World War II that the reason so many British men often found themselves satisfied in the army is that for the first time in their lives, they were doing something not for the pay and not for themselves, but for the world. (laughs) They were doing something uh, for something other than themselves, bigger than themselves. They were doing it for their neighbor. So what are the neighbor needs? The neighbor changes, the neighborly. It was Luther who said that basically our vocations are the way that you and I fulfill Jesus' injunction to love your neighbor as yourself. So who do I need to serve? It's a very different message than the message that is told many high schoolers and college students today. I was reading a blog this week, and I don't even remember the author's name, but he, he made this point. He said, for so long we've told graduating college seniors, that it's almost become the gospel of, of graduation. It's the message, do what you love. Do what... What you're passionate about. Don't just make it a job. Uh, don't settle for just a job. Follow your dreams. Do what you love. It, but is that really the wisdom of the Bible? Throughout its usage in, in, church, in church history, the word vocation has rarely, if ever, meant do what you love. More than not, the call of God in our lives was actually, is actually a call to serve and sometimes to suffer for the sake of others. Gives the example of his mother, who was a public elementary school teacher in Hopkins, Minnesota, for 35 years. She's, he said that my mom's days were long. She, when she came home, she still had to cook. She still had to clean. She had to take this to basketball practice. And then she had to stay up late grading papers for her third graders until she d- dozed off. Did my mom love her job? Well, many days, sort of. <laughs> Did she love it all the time? Absolutely not. Being a single mother, supporting two kids in a classroom of 30 others, 30 other students, that is not a life of self-actualization. It's a life of duty. It's a life of service. It's a life of giving. And ironically, when we think about work in terms of chasing after our own happiness, that is actually not the ingredients that will lead us to happiness. It is in serving others, 
and pointing beyond ourselves that, that happiness gets kind of woven in into the, to the grand tapestry of things. Good advice, good words. So number one is look out. Look out what needs to be done. Then the second consideration, and it is a legitimate consideration, is to, is to look in. Although I would recommend that you don't do it primarily through a generic aptitude test. But you look in and you assess what are my unique God-given skill sets, uh, temperaments, stories. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in listening to one's story. I go to a pastor's group luncheon on the first Tuesday of every month, and I told the guys this was the sermon series I was going to be preaching, and one of them recommended to me this book, Parker J. Palmer's Let Your Life Speak. Let Your Life Speak. And when I first arrived in the mail from Amazon, I, I thought, oh, this is going to be a waste. <laughs> it's only 100 pages, and they put it in a hardback. <laughs> it's really small. Uh, uh, this looks like a decorative book to put on your, your nightstand. But the, he says something profound in here. He says, you know, don't go to the, to the bubble sheet score test. He says, it's much more mystical. It's your life has something to tell you if you're able to listen to it. Listen to your life. Uh, listen to your life. Listen to your life. Your life has something. Your life has clues about what you ought to be doing. Already is made part uh, of it. So he gives an, his own example. He said, as I was looking back on clues, in grade school, I became fascinated with the mysteries of flight. As many boys did in those days, I spent endless hours after school and on the weekends designing, crafting, and flying, and usually crashing model airplanes made of fragile balsa wood. But unlike most boys, however, I also spent long hours creating 8- and 12-page books about aviation. I would turn a sheet of paper sideways, draw a vertical line down the middle, make diagrams of the cross-section of a wing, roll the sheet into a typewriter, and peck out a caption explaining how air moving across an airfoil creates a vacuum that lifts the plane. Then I would fold that sheet up in half along with several others I had made. I'd staple them together in a collection and would painstakingly illustrate the cover. Now, I had always thought that the meaning of this paperwork was obvious, that I wanted to be a pilot. I'm fascinated with flight. I wanted to be a pilot, or I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. It's only recently when I found a couple of these literary artifacts in an old cardboard box did I suddenly see the truth. And it was more obvious than I could have ever imagined. I didn't want to be a pilot. I didn't want to be an engineer or anything else related to aviation. I wanted to be an author. I wanted to make books. A task that I had been attempting to do from the third grade on to this very moment it goes on, from the very beginning, our lives lay down clues to, to who we really are and what our vocation really ought to be. And though these clues may be hard to decode and hard to decipher, it's profoundly worthwhile for our, us to give our, our attention to them. 
Again, I think fabulous words. Listen to your life. Listen to what it is telling you. Now, that requires a certain degree of maturity, doesn't it? To be able to know yourself and evaluate yourself. It's incredibly important that you have other people who are more mature than you, who, who also can be listening to your life and helping you so that if you're, you're misinterpreting it, that they can help you find the clues. They can tell you, here's what I see. Here's what I think you're proficient at. I especially just want, what is your own personal life story that might be, you know, hiding in there uh, what it is that God, is, God really wants you to do? I don't know if that makes sense, but that really resonates inside of me. Look, look inside. Um, so look out, look in. And number three, I want to encourage you to look behind. Look behind. Uh, our vocations, we, we'd agree, agree, they're not entirely in our own hands. Our vocations are in the hands of other people. They're in the hands of college admissions boards. Ooh. <laughs> in medical, select, medical school selection committees. In employment agencies. Bureaucratic hierarchies. Or in the nameless, face, faceless person who's authorized to make hiring decisions and, you know, the human resource officer. It's out of our hands. But it, if you look behind those hands, you begin to, you know that God is behind all of those. And he is using all of these people and all of these open and closed doors of opportunity, all of these accepted applications and botched interviews, etc. He's using those as means to exercise our call, his call in our lives. Very important. If you believe that vocation, that your job, your career is a calling, then you don't call yourself to it. Somebody calls you to do it. Callings come from outside of us. This part is really the feedback loop because you, can, you may be thinking that you're doing the will of God and you're following the will of God, but if there's not an external call, so even in pastoral circles, I can go to seminary and I can get a master's degree. I can learn Greek and Hebrew and I can think that I'm supposed to become a pastor. But the actual language that we use is that if there's not a church who calls me, if I don't have a pastoral call, then uh, God's not calling me to that work. That can be very difficult to accept, can't it? <laughs> when God says, no, I'm not calling you to this or to that. Gene Veith is a Lutheran professor at Patrick Henry College in Virginia. He's probably written more extensively on the topic of vocation than anybody else out there. And he sees God's activity you know, behind the scenes of call in all aspects. So he gives this example. He says, I've had many students who've come through my classes who ended up dropping out of college, even though they wanted to stay in college, but it was money problems or family emergencies or health reasons or they got married or they had kids. These various circumstances threw a monkey wrench into their plans. And as a result, they never finished their degrees and their lives took on a very different path than the ones that they would ch- have imagined or have choosed, uh, chosen. This could be and is often a source of tremendous frustration. Why did, why did I contract mono and, and blow those tests? Or, or why, why did the stock market crash and I didn't have any money? Why did this happen? Why didn't it work out? 
But he said, I always try to encourage my students to, to embrace it, to embrace God. God must be calling me then to something else. I can trust him because it's the wisdom of my heavenly father who's behind all of these haphazard events, money troubles and, and health struggles, and etc. It's God. God, I must believe that God is calling me to some other task. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to make it into law school and you can't make it in because you blow your LSATs because you got sick and you couldn't study, study uh, sufficiently, you can keep taking that test one more time, two more times, keep knocking on the door. But eventually you've got to be at peace that your heavenly father is the one who's exercising the call and not you. And he knows where you're needed, where you're most needed in this world. Leads me to, two, uh, to three final conclusions, or practical considerations. Number one, oh, God has blessed us with, with such a variety of vocational options. We are, are so blessed, are we not? If you think about through the history of human, humankind, through the history of the world, Basically, everybody had their vocations determined for them. And there were only three vocations in the history of the world. Three vocations. You're either a slave, or you're a farmer, or you're a a homemaker. That was it. The fact that we have this plethora of of options and opportunities is is a great gift. With it, a significant responsibility to listen to God well. God, what is it? What are you calling me to do? Um, I just think that if you will pay, if you will a, a, a approach the issue in that way, Father in heaven, I am so desirous to hear your voice as you direct me into the place that you want me to serve in this world. I, I've just got to think that your Father will be pleased to answer that prayer. So that that's number one. We have a wealth of uh, it's a privilege of opportunities that are available to us. But number two, remember, career and career success are not your salvation. As obvious as that sounds, it, you forget it so easily. Career and career success are not your salvation. And if you look around the room, in this room, we do have people who have really risen to the top of their respective career field. We've got guys and gals, men and women, who have made a lot of money and they they have achieved a great deal of personal success, of professional success. If you, are, the younger people in here, were to, were to interview any one of them, any one of them, they would tell you that the greatest satisfaction that they have in life is a rich, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. That they would not for a second turn in uh, their their the joy that they have in Jesus for any amount of career or vocational success. Because they've found that, that vocation is not your salvation. A lot of people approach it as though it was. And, you know, you go into, you want to go into a high-paying, high-prestige job because that's kind of, that kind of validates you as, as a special person. And that gives you a sense that I'm, I'm worthwhile. And, and, and no, it, no, you're worthwhile because the only begotten Son of God was, was given on the cross for your sins. You're worthwhile because your Heavenly Father's known you since you were, 
you know, in your mother's womb. And, and he loves you and he's guiding and directing your life. So don't buy into career and career success or my salvation. That's the salvation of the world we're talking about. No. You know, some people are deeply disappointed because they didn't get into the grad school or their, their parents are devastated because my child is not as successful as I was. You need to believe that behind all of those rejected applications, unexpected sicknesses, financial misfortunes, is a heavenly father who is leading you to where you are needed most. Number three. A fulfilling and enjoyable job is great. I wish that every single one of us, were, that we were put in our vocational sweet spot. And there's a lot of us, or maybe, I don't know, a lot, some of us who are here today and you're like, I am just not an ideal job for me. I hate my work. And we talked about this in the earlier sermons. I, I hate my work. This is, I don't get to utilize my motivated gifts and, and abilities I'm just miserable. I know it'll make things better. I'll just change careers. And isn't it silly? Because that oftentimes doesn't, doesn't make things any better. You've seen it. I've seen it. People carry their, their troubles, their discontentedness. That baggage, they carry it around from one job step stop to the next. You carry your, your stuff with you. Usually a change of scenery is not not enough to really change the satisfaction of your, your heart. And probably the reason why is because you, you, your beginning point, your starting point is backwards. Again, contrary to the modern assumption, your vocation is not about your self-fulfillment. It's not about finding your own greatness. It is not about finding meaning in your life or even doing what you love. Your vocation is about loving and serving your neighbor as yourself. Your vocation is about caring for God's created world. And frankly, if, if, you've, if you weren't satisfied doing that in middle management, and then you weren't satisfied doing that selling insurance, and then you weren't satisfied doing that in whatever else, you're probably not going to be very satisfied in the, the final step. Think about your vocations differently. I guess I meant, I said three, I went four. Number four, last, the final consideration is wouldn't it be wonderful for you to hear the voice of God and speak to you kind of the way he did Jeremiah? I mean, I, don't, I know that that's not the normative way of doing things. We don't hear audible voices of God. But I think that when those three things coalesce, when you look out and you see what human needs do I vibrate to or resonate with, what do I see that needs to be fixed, then you look in and you say, what is my life telling me? How does, how does the uniqueness of my individuality fit with the unique needs of this world? What do other people tell me I'm proficient at? And you look behind and you see the opportunity doors that are open and opportunities for service that are made available by God. You can have a high degree of confidence that God is, is saying, I want you to go be a pilot. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born... I set you apart, and I appointed you as a pilot to the skies. Uh, Or I appointed you as a mother to four kids. I appointed you as a teacher, an instructor to 20 students. I appointed you as uh, as an engineer to to Micron and (laughs) 
I, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that kind of sense of confidence that God is, is with me and I'm fulfilling his purpose? I think that's his desire for us. And that's my prayer, that every, every one of us would, would have the peace that, um, that we're serving the Lord in the place that we're needed the most. Amen.